Hello, everyone. My name is Frank Spangler, and welcome to another episode of ADRA Insider. So glad that you have joined us today. And uh, what I would like to do for this uh, podcast is actually invite you to join me on one of my trips. I was recently in the country of the Philippines visiting our Embrace project there. And while I was in the country, I had the opportunity to sit down with three of the staff members of ADRA Philippines, and we recorded an audio podcast while I was there. But you know, as I was editing that audio podcast, I got to thinking, you know, I have so many beautiful photographs and video clips that illustrate the things that these people are talking about that we really need to turn this into a video podcast. And so if you happen to be listening to this uh, as a regular audio podcast, maybe you've downloaded it from iTunes or some other podcast feed, and you would like to see the photographs and video clips that go along with the uh, podcast, I invite you to just, you know, go on Google, type in ADRA Insider, and you'll be able to find the uh, video version of this podcast. And so I invite you now to join me as I sit down with the staff of ADRA Philippines. First of all, let's just go around the table here and find out who we have with us uh, here today. Hello, my name is Alex Naive. I'm working for the Embrace project as the monitoring and evaluation specialist. Hi, I'm Tom Pinion. I'm the Adra Philippines country director. Oh, Tom, how long have you been here in the Philippines now? I've been here for about four and a half years now, wow. uh, which is really uh, only a, a year before uh, the Embrace project started. So I've been, been there from the beginning. Well, good to have you with us today. And who else do we have? Hello, everyone. My name is Lovely Alvar. I am the project manager of Embrace here in the Philippines. Lovely. What a lovely name you have. <laughs> Easy you. to remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all. And before we start talking about the Embrace project, I just wanted to give our listeners a little bit of background about how ADRA Canada has been involved here in the Philippines. Now, all of you are quite young. I wonder, do you know the history of the partnership that ADRA Canada has had with the Philippines? I remember the first time that I came to the Philippines, it was in response to the uh, eruption of uh, Mount Pinatubo. Am I pronouncing that right? Mount Mount Pinatubo. Okay, yes. I know that happened in 1990. I don't think I came until 93, but they were still responding. ADRA was still responding at that time. And so that's what I remember, my first trip here. But I know that uh, more recently, ADRA Canada has been working again in response to a disaster. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we had a large typhoon back in 2013 called Typhoon Haiyan, or locally we call it Typhoon Yolanda. Uh, so that happened around this sort of time uh, in 2013. And ADRA Canada contributed significantly to the emergency response phase and was involved uh, as we responded to the emergency needs, but also was alongside us as we implemented various recovery projects uh, to that disaster. And so really in terms of our recent history with ADRA Canada, it really goes back to those, those days of responding to that large typhoon. 
Yeah. Now, were you here when the typhoon happened? I wasn't actually here when the the typhoon happened, uh, but I I responded as part of the Adra Network response. I was one of the emergency response team members who who came out uh, here. So that was your introduction to the Philippines. That was my <laughs> first introduction. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, in Canada, we have a lot of people who hail from the Philippines. And when they turned on their news and saw what had happened here in the Philippines, we had an overwhelming response. I think it's been one of our largest responses in our history at Adra Canada. The people of the Philippines who live in Canada just uh, reached out and supported the uh, response in a great way. So that was nice to see. Now, after the initial response, the emergency response, uh, there was a follow-up program. Is that correct? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so ADRA Philippines, with funding from across the ADRA network, including ADRA Canada, was able to implement a, a number of recovery projects. Uh, one of those projects was working in the province of Leyte with funding from ADRA Canada and the Canadian Food Grains Bank. Uh, so that was a nutrition project focused on on people who had been affected by the, the typhoon there. And that project ran from 2015 all the way through till uh, 2018. Okay. Now, was that the REAP? project? No, so that was the Masiglahi uh, project. The REAP project uh, was another Adra Canada funded project. We were able to access funding from Global Affairs Canada uh, and implement a livelihood recovery project. All right, and then now we have uh, about three and a half years ago started the Embrace project here, which is primarily funded by the Canadian government. We have other partners, but most of our funding comes from the Canadian government. So now Embrace was really implemented in Cambodia, Myanmar, Rwanda, and also the Philippines. And each country kind of took a, a little different approach to it. But what was the main purpose or main goals of, of Embrace? The ultimate outcome of the Embrace project is uh, we will be able to contribute to the reduction of maternal and child mortality, primarily by increasing access to utilization of health services among pregnant women, uh, pregnant lactating women, and children under five, and uh, increase the consumption of nutritious and sustainably produced foods. We're working in very, very remote areas, helping out mother and children to be able to access health services and increase their consumption of nutritious foods. Now, you say it's remote areas. Describe this part of the Philippines, where are you working? What are some of the, the sites that you could describe? The Embrace project is working in the province of Camarinesur. We have selected half of the communities to be located in the upland and half of it uh, located in the island and coastal communities. So island and coastal communities as well as upland. What do you mean by upland? Tell us a little bit more about upland. I remember last time I was here, about a year ago, I visited one community that there really wasn't even a road into. Right. <laughs> Is that the kind of communities you're yes. talking about? Yes. Uh, these are the kind of communities uh, with difficulties in terms of access because of the terrain and then the type of transportation available that are accessible only by tricycle, by carabao, drawn carts, by walking, uh -huh. and then by boats. This seems like the kind of village that Adra 
<laughs> yes. usually works in. And and the, <laughs> the the farthest would be like two hours away by boat, and mostly these are located in the island communities of Garchitorena. I think when you go to the project area, one of the first things that strikes you is the natural beauty of the place. It is an incredibly beautiful place with the vegetation-covered mountains, the beautiful coastline with these islands and white sand beaches. But also hidden behind that is the the struggle that the communities face because you also realize how difficult it is to travel uh, there. Like for us, when we go there, we'll have a vehicle to to get around. Uh, But even then, it needs to be a four by four vehicle to go to many of these places. The travel will just take a a long time to get from one side of the project area to, to the other side. And then often you'll need to get a boat for a couple of hours to visit some of the villages or barangays that that we are working in so it it really hits you the the remoteness uh, of this and i think it is that remoteness that has really contributed to the to the hardships that the community are are facing related to maternal health maybe you can describe for us what it is about the remoteness specifically that makes life challenging and difficult uh, for the people that uh, embrace has been working with they have very limited access to health services and uh, limited access to uh, nutritious foods because, for example, if you're living in island barangays, they don't have much of uh, essential vegetables to consume. When we did the selection of the communities, or we call barangays here in the Philippines, we didn't just chose them by location or by remoteness. The first the priority was to check the health indicators. And most of these barangays with poor health indicators are coming from the remote areas. Because of the population and the understaffed public health staff, they are not able to regularly visit these barangays. We only have one doctor in one municipality covering, let's say, 23 or 48 barangays. One municipal health officer can only regularly visit those that are near the health centers. Most of the time, especially in the province of Camarines Sur, the seas are rough uh, during monsoon season. So at times, it's very difficult for them to travel, especially among pregnant women mm. and uh, children who are sick. What were some of the things that Embrace tried to bring to cover some of these challenges that the people are facing? What were your uh, approaches? What was your plan? The Embrace project is very holistic and it has a lot of activities we've been working. We're focusing on health and also on nutrition. And we're following these frameworks where we believe could help us contribute to the reduction of maternal and child mortality. So for health, we have these three delays. The delay in decision-making, the delay in reaching care, and the delay in receiving care. So all of our activities are aligned to address these three delays. So we have those community sessions on, on health, both on health and nutrition. We also have activities on saving mechanisms. So they form an uh, an association where all the mother and child health groups are able to save on their own as a group. So they meet weekly and then put in their savings on a little box. And then they can also access loans in case of emergencies. We establish what we call the community-based transport system for pregnant women. We did not provide transportation, but we established the system. Okay. So we we trained um, volunteers who are boat pilots or uh, jeepney operators who can bring uh, pregnant women a few days before the expected date of confinement to 
the birthing facilities or a halfway maternity home in preparation for her birth. And these volunteers are partnered by our community health volunteers. So it was a really good mechanism for pregnant women to have access to transportation. And in relation to that, we also had this halfway maternity homes that we've uh, constructed and equipped just uh, adjacent to the birthing facilities. So these halfway maternity homes are locally called harong ni nanay. That means a mother's house. We've constructed four uh, because we have four rural health units or health centers. So the pregnant woman can three or four days before her delivery, she can stay in there along with her family. It's also one reason why they don't want to give birth at the birthing facility because I have my kids with me. No one's going to take care of them. So that's why since it's a transient home, you can bring your kids. You can stay here while waiting for active labor. After delivering, they're not able to travel back because of the rough seas. So they stay there for a few more days. So it's been used pre and post delivery. Mm-hmm. It has been very effective in island villages. Actually, we had a funny story about that. There was the first pregnant woman who went there and you use it, wanted to name her child Adra okay. <laughs> <laughs> because they were very happy about having the halfway maternity home. But you know, Frank, I think for, for me on a personal note, these halfway homes that the project has been able to build and the system that we've been able to put in place to get the expectant mother to the birthing facility. As I said, on a personal note, my wife gave birth to her third child halfway through this project. And as a father, probably the biggest concern for you approaching that date is making sure you can get your wife to a hospital at the right time. For me, it was just managing that 45 minutes, hour drive down the road to where we were going to give birth. But then when you relate that to to these communities and uh, people who have to travel several hours over difficult terrain, either on a stretcher or on a very, very small boat in rough weather, if that is possible at all, being able to have that transportation in place but then also have those homes where they can stay beforehand. For me, if I was in that position, it would take a great weight off oh, my mind. Sure. And, and I think that's why I think that's been such an important aspect of, of the project. This gives people an option of when to go, right? Like they can see, oh, the seas aren't that bad t- this morning. Let's go, exactly. even if it's a week before the due date. Yeah. And also there, if you have the three delays, you also have three nutrition interventions. We have our Learning True Play. It's an early child care and development intervention mm-hmm. in partnership with Hinks Delcrest, or right. now Sick, sick Child. Kids. Sick yeah. Kids, yeah. And uh, also our WASH intervention, our water, sanitation, hygiene. What else? Uh, the kitchen gardening, mm-hmm. uh, using the permaculture principles. So all of our um, project partners, we prefer to call them partners than beneficiaries, mm-hmm. are uh, now capacitated in how to do kitchen gardening using permaculture principles and even went to the extent of establishing school-based crop museums as well right. so that mm-hmm. they will have access in case they fail to save seeds for their next cycle, mm-hmm. they can have access to additional seeds in, this, in school-based crop museums. When I visited the community last time, I saw that uh, the soil was rich, and I'm wondering why it is that they weren't already growing 
the vegetables. What did the Embrace Project introduce to them that was new? And how did you get your communities to start growing new foods? And why weren't they growing them before? Yeah, um, you were right in saying that the soil is uh, basically rich. It's one of the natural endowments of, of the country. But of course, there were monsoon seasons. Mm -hmm. And then basically, we have the dry and then the rainy, the wet season. And in consideration of these weather situations, the project tried to introduce a system for addressing the seasons of typhoons, the heavy rains, mm -hmm. and the prolonged dry spell. And this was integrated in the kitchen gardening uh, training. I think one of the other uh, challenges when it comes to uh, improving the dietary intake is, yes, we know that uh, vegetables grow very easily here in the Philippines. You just plant it and it, mm. it grows. But one of the big constraints of the project area is access to land sufficient land in order mm. to grow those those vegetables and so what we've been able to do with some of the permaculture techniques that we've been using and implementing in this project is teaching communities how to use the existing land that they have available and this is why we talk about kitchen gardens because it's it's not that they have a large amount of land to to grow vegetables but using the small parcel of land that they have around their homes they can actually uh, grow quite a substantial amount using these specialized uh, techniques we have seen some community initiatives where they have limited uh, gardening space. And so they talk with some of the community who are not members of uh, the maternal and child health groups. And they ask for some arrangement. Can we use your land? And they said, yes, why not? If you will be using it for growing your own food. So we have seen this in some uh, communities like in Bulalakao, where instead of doing their own kitchen gardening at their own uh, lots. They went for communal gardening, and it's doing very well as a source of uh, nutritious and safe uh, vegetables. I visited that village. It's yeah. just beautiful, just amazing to see that community garden. And I can understand why, because when you visit the homes, there's hardly any space in between right. each house or behind each house. So I'm glad that they came to a good solution there. So the schools, just behind the school, at least the one I visited, they're growing all of these vegetables that provides supplements to their meal program. Now the children, do they work in the gardens oh, as well? Oh yes, okay. yes, we have seen... So the, they're learning how to grow kitchen gardens oh, yes. at school. Yes, and it's becoming a laboratory during the quality monitoring visit with some of the teachers they mentioned. Now we are using the crop museum to say this is uh, talinum, this species is... Uh, has this nutritional value and you can cook this by way of doing this and so they started uh, putting the the printed uh, names the scientific name of those no. and then i saw some posters on how to cook them into nutritious uh, meals uh, recipes all right well before we close i would like to ask you if there had been any innovations that weren't necessarily part of the original design of the project wasn't part of the original plan but you kind of saw a need and uh, introduced that one of the things that we didn't think of initially were the maternal halfway homes we had originally budgeted to improve the birthing facilities uh, possibly with some construction um, 
to expand those birthing facilities. Uh, but when we got into the project after we would started, we understood that actually the birthing facilities were there. They needed a little bit more equipping to really bring them up to a high standard. But they were already there but they weren't being utilized uh, sufficiently because of the issue of access. And so we were able to talk with the government of Canada and say, look, this is what is really needed in this context. And so we were able to make some adjustments and implement that aspect of the project where we hadn't initially planned for it. Yeah, the halfway homes weren't really part of... uh any of the other three countries that Embrace is being implemented in. So it's, it's a great innovation and specifically uh, beneficial to your local context, you're saying. Yeah, and that, that is something that came out when we conducted the baseline survey at the beginning of the project and we went around speaking to the communities to really understand the, the needs, specific needs and um, what this project was, was going to be doing. That was something that really came out of of that and as a result of that we were able to make those those changes the original design did not include the provision of chickens the chickens <laughs> but okay. during the baseline study we have mm. identified a lack of protein mm. in their diet so we chose a very specific type of chicken that lays egg every day and so it becomes the source of protein Everywhere I go, I ask now, what was the best part of the project for you? Or what, what do you like the most? And one of the answers I got from a lot of people was they liked the savings and loans groups <laughs> that you started. Was that part of the original design? This is also something that we, we learned from the other uh, Government of Canada and ADRA Canada funded project, the REAP Livelihoods okay. uh, project, yeah. where we had implemented this system of savings within a community context but with a focus on livelihoods. And so we took that approach, we adapted it to look at health savings and utilizing those savings for health needs. And, and so that's what we were able to really adapt and, and it's really taken off very well in, in the Embrace project as well. Yeah. You know, people back home in Canada probably don't quite understand how this would change lives because everybody has a bank account. But you are working with the unbanked, right? You know, we hear about the statistics about the large amount of people in our world that are unbanked. They don't have access to a method of savings, and and it isn't even part of their culture to think about savings. And so when we introduce a project like this, or introduce this as part of the project, uh, it really makes a difference in people's lives. I think one of the reasons why it works so well is because it's a very transparent approach. Everybody in that community group knows what is going on and knows how much people are putting in and how much people are taking out which maybe to, to me in my, my background I wouldn't be so comfortable with it but here it really works um, and that sort of uh, accountability to each other and I think that is one of the keys to its success. Uh, one more thing I'd like to have you tell us about and that is the effect that the Embrace Project has had in the way of um, gender sensitivity training. When it comes to gender sensitivity, we have the mobile theater. We produced a film uh, that was actually targeting men and male youth and how they can be engaged in the health and nutrition of their women and children. Because here in the Philippines, it's, you know, uh, the patriarchy is women should only be taking care of the children, men uh, provides for the family, mm. and then if you if you ask men around here, 
and with regards to nutrition of their kids they'd rather answer you you can ask their mother okay. yeah so that's how it usually is and some of this is done did you say by a traveling theater a, mo- a mobile theater a mobile yeah theater. yeah so um we had three mobile theaters the first one we invited professional actors to write the script for us and the the play is uh, conducted in schools so they go around and the topic was more on Uh, gender issues and uh, uh, reproductive health and then we thought okay if we're doing it in school how about those out of school youth or those in the community so we did a second round of mobile theater but this time it was played by community actors so we trained um, those who used to be teenage moms and out of school youth even community health volunteers by the way the second mobile theater was conducted at night because we had to make sure that the men are there, mm-hmm. that the men are able to see it and, and, and you know, um, be able to participate. And then the third one, which was done by adolescents uh, in and out of school youth, after the play, we're also distributing a, a comics. It's called Adventures of Karapatana. So when you say Karapatan in Filipino, it means rights. But Karapatana is a heroine. And then mm. despite her saving other people, she got pregnant. She was quite confused on what services that she uh, she's entitled to. So the comics was delivering key messages or information on as a woman, as an adolescent, you have these rights and you are entitled to these services from the local government or even the, the health center. So that was in partnership actually with Amnesty International. I think for me, if just to comment on perhaps the highlight was these mobile theaters. I was able to attend uh, one of the performances and to see how this mobile theater really engaged with the audience, with the community members. And it was at night under the lights, the whole of the barangay had come out to watch this. And it was a play filled with key messages of what we are trying to get across in, in this project. What was really interesting for me about it was at the end, the participants then had a discussion with the audience about what happened and ultimately what went wrong in the life of the main character who actually died as a, as a result of not receiving the right services and because of all of the other uh, issues. But then it was discussed with the audience what should have taken place. And then it was almost like the play rewound. Right. And then they acted out that, uh, yeah. that ending. And, and that was really well received by the audience. And, and everyone felt that they were engaged in it. Uh, and for me, it was just an incredible way of teaching the community and getting the message across to, to the community in a far better way than just sitting people down and telling them the, right. the facts and figures yeah. and the theory behind uh, all of this. Uh, just the way that the community engaged with it was incredible. All right. Well, I want to thank all of you for uh, taking your time today and sharing with us some of these stories from the Embrace Project here in the Philippines. Well, that's it for our podcast today. I hope that you have enjoyed our little journey to the Philippines and that you've had an opportunity to learn just a little bit more about the work of ADRA. And I would like to take this opportunity to express a word of thanks to all of our listeners of the podcast and now our viewers of the video podcast. We really appreciate you taking your time to learn more about the work of ADRA. And I would also like to say a word of thanks to our supporters. I know that many of you uh, are sending in a monthly donation or an annual gift to help the work that we do here at ADRA. And uh, we want you to know how much we appreciate that. 
And so with that, uh, I need to say farewell, uh, but we'll see you on the next episode of ADRA Insider. <laughs>